You know, any of us who have been a Christian for any length of time have heard these birth narratives. I, I don't like using the word story because story kind of means like a fairy tale, right? But these are a narrative. This really happened. So I like using that word narrative, but when we hear it year after year and we read them all the time, and you know what? I, I think we come complacent sometimes in our understanding of these details. Well, we all know that the baby Jesus was born and he was born in a manger. We all know about the magi who come and bring him all of these expensive gifts. And we also know about Herod, King Herod, this evil king who on the outside says he loves God, but on the inside he's just worried, worried about himself. He wants to stay king. So he actually plans to, and kills all the little boys two years of age and younger. We become so familiar with this story, it's fantastic, and from the point of, of view of faith, we read it and we absorb it and we love it, but you know what? There is a sublimeness about it that we often forget. The fantastic details just come back to us all the time, but Bethlehem was one of those little towns, it was a podunk town that really had no significance. It was about 10 miles outside of Jerusalem. It had maybe a hundred people that lived within a, a broader area of what it was. Now, we know that it was the birthplace of King David, according to 1 Samuel chapter 16, but it, was, it had no wall. It was one of those places that if you're going to go to Jerusalem in the temple, you would often stop there before you walked farther on. So it was a place where, where people were always kind of coming and going. And with the Roman census on, as we know from the Gospel of Luke, there were people migrating all over, perhaps going through Bethlehem and on other places. So with all these people moving back and forth, it, it wasn't necessarily strange to see this young, poor family, Mary pregnant, on their way to Jerusalem. But as I was thinking about it this week, I was struck by the, 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 what's going on in the background that, that we forget about sometimes. In all the accounts that we, re we read, this day that Jesus was born was just like any other day. There wasn't anything else special about it for most of the people. Everyone else in the town were about their normal things. They were going to the well to collect water. They were swapping stories, maybe at the, at the store, at the market. They were preparing meals. They were looking after their flocks and, and their crops. And they were totally oblivious, unaware of anything special that God was doing. And here's the thing. It's into this normal, everyday, mundane routine of life. God displays his glory in a very sublime way. That a child is born who is the fullness of God. And he's born into the most meager and lowly of situations. We don't read about hundreds of people coming to the manger. Well, we don't even read that anyone else in Bethlehem, outside of those who know about this, come. We don't even hear that the, the innkeeper decided, oh, well, there's something special about this baby now, so we'll make room for them and, and find a place for them. Nothing like that seems to happen. Everybody just went about their business every day, just like they did the day before, just like they're going to do the next day. Oblivious to the reality that perhaps the most life-changing, important event 
in human history has just happened. Now, as I've read the story again, the narrative again this morning, I, I hope you appreciate not simply the details that we know over and over again, but the difference between those who were worshiping and those who were not worshiping. So Christmas for us is a time for coming together, and some of us may not ever come to church except for Christmas and Easter. Now, if that's you this morning, we're so glad you're with us. So you, I pray that this would be a great blessing to you. But the reality is, is that uh, not every one of us will be here this morning with a heart to worship. So I want us to look at the reactions to the birth of Christ. I want us to be able to, to see, you know, there are those who worship and there are those who don't worship, even though they know that this is the most important event in human history to have happened up to this point. There, there are three different responses. Just very briefly, I want us to look at this morning and ask us this one question. Which of these persons reflects your heart this morning as you come? as we consider the birth of Christ, God with us, Emmanuel. The first one we, we read about here is Matthew chapter 2, verse 4, the intellectual response, the, the priests and the leaders of the community, the religious leaders. And it, they've come through, and the Magi have come, and they've told Herod that King of the Jews has been born, the Messiah has come. And so he summons them, and he says, well, where are they? And what's interesting is they didn't have to think twice, did they? They didn't have to say, well, give me a couple minutes or give us a couple minutes. We'll go back to the scriptures and, and we'll see what it has to say there. They knew the prophet Micah had promised that in this little town, in this little place called Bethlehem, it's, it's really nothing on the map. This is where the Messiah is going to be born. They didn't hesitate. They knew the scriptures. They knew the answer. They knew it immediately. They didn't have to hesitate. But it didn't change them, did it? What was their reaction personally? Here are the religious leaders of the people of Israel, the ones who are teaching the people all the time, God loves you and He's going to send a Messiah and our hope is that God will do all of these things for us. We are God's chosen people they're waiting for God to do something, and yet when they hear that a child has been born in Bethlehem, just like they've expected, they don't seem to do anything about it. It's strange. They knew the right answers from the Bible, but they themselves didn't do anything about it. And, and the question, you know, reality is many of us here this morning we may have a right understanding of what Christmas is all about. We may have the right training. We may hold on to the right doctrines and, and feel confident in that. But the reality is, is that if that doesn't change the way we worship and recognizing the in, incomparable, unfathomable mystery that is the birth of Christ, it, it's all for naught. We can have all of this right understanding, all of this right teaching, but if we are unmoved by the truth to worship God, we are just like the priests and the teachers of the law. Now, some of us may not go to church very often. 
We may not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I understand that. If you desire to know more this morning about the spiritual significance and what that means to you, please catch me after the service. And many others of us, I think, have just fallen into the complacency of knowing the truth. I remember when I first got here, um, Ming asked me, are you just going to preach from the Gospel of Matthew again? And I said, no, I'm going to preach from Galatians. And he says, yes, yes, I get to hear that. But it's synonymous, isn't it, with our understanding that Christmas is the time we talk about the birth narrative and, you know, that is it. And we're so overwhelmed uh, by those details. Some of us, again, don't go to church. I think many of us have calloused hearts. You know what calluses are, boys and girls? When you start playing with things like a baseball bat and that, or your baseball, and, and your fingers get tough skin, right? Well, our heart can, can be calloused towards God because we sin and we do things that don't glorify God, and so our heart becomes like a callous. So here's the reality. We, we have fallen, perhaps, into the complacency of understanding what happens, but it doesn't move us to worship. And we need to be reminded that it's just because we can recite John 6, 3.16, that Jesus, that God so loved the world, He gave us His only begotten Son, right? right. Amen. Amen. doesn't mean that we're going to be born again. doesn't mean that we're going to heaven. And just because we know all the details of the Christmas story, the narrative of Jesus' birth doesn't mean we're going to heaven. So from a perspective of the religious leaders, of those who supposedly had all the knowledge, had all the training, had all the schooling, but they didn't repent of their sins. They didn't trust in Jesus. They knew all the details. They knew that there was going to be a virgin birth. They knew where, but it didn't move them to worship. That should be a challenge for us this morning. The second response we see here is the hypocritical response of this evil King Herod, because in chapter 2, verse 8, you know what it says? It says that King Herod, when he's talking to the Magi, he says, you tell me, you go and find him, come back and tell me where he is so that I can go and worship him. But we know a couple verses later on, he does what? He kills all the baby boys because he doesn't want anyone else to be king. He doesn't want Jesus to be king. So from the outward appearances, he seems to be earnest. He seems to, I I want to worship God. But in truth, that's not the reality. We know otherwise. He actually wanted to find the Christ just so he can kill Jesus. Now, here we need to be careful of having a faith that is hypocritical. Now, none of us here would be as evil as Herod and actually want to kill somebody because they're in our way. They would ruin our understanding, our desire. But it is possible to be like Herod, to be like King Herod, when we put on a mask. You know when I put on a mask and people can't see our face? We can be like that when we come to church. We can be all nice and come on the outside and say we're here to worship and sing songs. We can all be what's called pious, and that is very gentle, and we want to worship when in reality we're far more concerned about our own agenda, what we want, what we're doing. Now, living in Texas for four years, we got to see firsthand what it meant to be uh, seeing people who are culturally Christian. Everyone down there is a Christian in South Texas. They go to church. And the reality of that as well is that 
you go to church to make connections. Your ties financially, politically, business-wise, whatever, are connected through going to a church. And we said, well, we're, we're not Texas, but the reality, when I was pastoring in Markham at another church up there, we had a political leader, a, a Chinese gentleman who came into the church, and uh, it was an election year. And he was spending all of his quality time having coffee and talking to people, saying, you got to vote this way. And so I, I don't doubt his earnestness necessarily. I'm not one to say he's not a Christian, but why would you come to church just for the opportunity of connecting with people and saying, you've got to vote this way. And, and so it does happen here. There, there's any number of ways that we can fall into this area, error, this, this trap. But the bottom line is that if we're doing anything, when we come to church, if we're doing anything else but wanting to worship God, we're being hypocritical. Now, that's a big fancy word. It just means to say that we're, we say we're doing one thing and really we want another. We're putting that mask on, and we're disguising ourselves. The third response is the magi. It's a response of worship. Now, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the magi. I won't go into any of that right now. But what we do know about them, the important thing is what they do. Because in verse 10 of chapter 2, we're told that they rejoiced with exceeding joy. There's a special construction there that's a, a superlative. It's like they, they had great, 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 great joy when they saw baby Jesus. They delighted in the news when they saw Mary and the child because they knew that this was the king of the Jews. They knew that this was the Messiah who was going to die for their sins and allow them to have a right relationship with God again. So they opened their hearts and it was overflowing with, with joy. And that's where worship must start this morning. It must come from a heart that is grateful to God for what He's done. Now, just a quick note of some of the other descriptors, things that we know about their joy, about their worship. First and foremost, they came from a very far way away, didn't they? Came from another country. So it's like coming from South America all the way up here. They came from another country. They walked weeks to get there. When they heard the news, their joy was that they wanted to know Jesus more. They wanted to be in His presence. There was this overwhelming desire to meet Jesus and to put aside everything of work, everything of school, and say, this is the most important thing in my life right now. I want to see Jesus. We also know that when they came and they saw Mary and they saw the baby Jesus, what did they do? They fell to their knees in worship. They went, oh, and they went down to their knees. Now, we don't do that too much today, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't. But here's the thing, when we worship our hearts and our minds, we need to humble ourselves before God. That's what worship is. It's humbling and saying, this is not me, this is not my desires, not my way of singing, this is not the way I prefer to do church. I want to do uh, worship with everyone else. So we humble ourselves before God. And in fact, when you look at the Old Testament, an important part of what it meant to worship God was always to fall on your face and, and to go down on your knees and to be like this before God. Because God is so awesome 
He's so different. He's so powerful. He knows everything. And so we humble ourselves before him in our worship. And so a good question for us to ask this morning, when was the last time we humbled ourselves in our worship? It may not go to our knees, but in the singing, in the preaching of the word, in hearing the prayers that we raise up to God. When was the last time that our hearts, our souls, were humbled before Christ? We also see their giving. And what did we just learn a couple minutes ago by Teacher Albert? The gift. The gift tells us about the giver. Exactly. Now, God sent his son, right? But the Magi come and they have these wonderful gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, things that cost like the same amount as a car, just lots and lots of money. This is a famous part of the story, right? These, the Magi, these wise men come and they give gifts to the, to the little baby, uh, uh, to the little child uh, Jesus. It's probably why we give gifts to each other at Christmas. Did you think about that? Why we give each other gifts? Because we see that in worship, it comes from a love to give gifts to others. Recognizing that God sent his son, we delight when we delight in someone, when we delight in something, we want to give as a joyful response. And so when we give gifts to each other, it's a recognition of what God has done. It's an act of love. So again, we, we can ask ourselves, how is my giving? Whether it's to the church or whether it is just in humanitarian needs, you may say, well, <laughs> don't want to be legalistic. I, I don't want to be legalistic, but we just learned that it tells us about our heart. And so those who are joyful in giving, who give abundantly, are probably in a better heart relationship than those who are not. And the last thing we see is obedience. Because Herod said what? He said, you go find where the baby Jesus is, come back and let me know so I can go and I can worship. But we know that that's not what he wanted, and God knew that too. So God told the Magi, he said, don't go back the way you came. Don't go telling Herod all of that. And you know what is important? They listened and they obeyed God. The king, Herod, had lots of power. He could have made their life miserable. But they listened to God. And they did what God said. Now we know verses like John 14, 15 They're important for us as Christians. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. So if we are followers of Jesus, if we love Jesus, if we're worshipers of Jesus, we shall naturally want to worship by keeping his commandments, by being obedient. So as we look at these three characters that are symbolic of responses that could be ours this morning in the narrative of, of Luke chapter 2. Do you, do you have an intellectual understanding of Christmas? And just like the Jewish leaders, and yet it doesn't move you to worship. Is your heart perhaps hypocritical? Are you here this morning and you've got that mask on, but you know that your heart's not right with God, that you're not worshiping in, in truth? Well, you need to ask that question. What are your motives? What, what's going on in your heart? And then do you truly worship God 
Do you delight in Him? Do you desire to know Him more? Are you seeking after Him? Are you humbling yourself before Him? Are you giving generously? And most importantly, are you obedient? All of these things indicate a person who truly knows Jesus Christ and wants to worship. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day.